One, two, three, four. about this, the situation of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery, it's, it's, it's hard to not be angry all the time. And, and I've always taken more value in my life being more than that, you know, and, and craft beer has been a huge part of the happiness in my life. So it was like, I wanted to get my thoughts out. Hello and welcome to It Starts With Beer. I'm your host, Will Sis. My guest on this episode is Jamal Robinson, the sales manager for one of Connecticut's most beloved breweries, New England Brewing. I've been out of the loop for a little while, recovering from shoulder surgery, but I'm happy to be back. I wanted to talk to Jamal for a few reasons, but particularly because he'd recently posted two highly impactful, raw, and personal videos about race. As one of the few black people in Connecticut beer, he has a perspective I wanted to get. Here's a clip from his first video, shot in his greenhouse in June, just after talking about how his family prepared him to survive life in America. To know that there's been so much progression, it doesn't get easy to see people that look like me murdered for looking like me. And I can't acknowledge that progression and my blessings without understanding the fact that that is not the average black experience in America. I know that, but everybody's got to understand that. In this episode, Jamal and I talk about his life in beer and with New England Brewing in particular, how he deals with racism, and what the future holds. Let's listen in. All right, so you are the director of sales at New England Brewing Company in Woodbridge, Connecticut. Now you've made some, a couple of impactful YouTube videos, which I'd like to get to, and I also, but I'd like you to start off. Uh, tell me a little bit about your beer resume and tell me what goes into being a director of sales. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I started off uh, on the Anheuser-Busch side of the world. Um, I worked out of Hartford Distributors. I got an internship there when I was 18. Uh, the, the VP of the distributor uh, was a regular at Ryan's Deli, which is a deli in Vernon that I worked at, Jewish Deli. And uh, he gave me an internship when I was 18, and I started working there, merchandising, hanging neons. And then from there, I got uh, promoted and was a full-time on the marketing side, working with the Anheuser-Busch portfolio and uh, some craft stuff. And then I really just got into craft beer in a big way. Uh, AB sent me to all kinds of training classes on beer in general, and then it, that kind of propelled me into you know, sensory training and, and learning about different flavors and learning about different kinds of styles of beer. And then it got me really curious about craft beer and then you know, once you get into craft beer, the culture and the the, 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 the vibe behind that whole industry was so much different. Um, Anheuser-Busch is, is, a, is a pretty corporate entity, you know, and they have a, a very specific way of doing things. They did a great job training me. Uh, but, you know, getting into craft beer was way more loose, a lot more like industry camaraderie. And it was just like a fun thing to to want to be a part of and to want to grow. So I, I made the move uh, to the craft beer side. I joined Blue Point Brewing um, when they were just coming into Connecticut. Hmm. Uh, so I launched case one in Connecticut and, uh, in all the new England States. And I was with them for seven and a half years, um, going from kind of Connecticut sta- uh, sales manager to new England sales manager. And then, uh, blue point brewing got bought by Anheuser-Busch, <laughs> uh, came a little full circle. And I was like, you know, I don't know if I want to go back to that culture. And you didn't broker and, uh, that. You didn't broker that deal. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. Um, but I, you know, for me, it was, it was, you know, nothing against Anheuser-Busch in that way. It was, it was just wasn't my, my culture, my scene. I'd been pretty engulfed in the craft beer community and, and I really, was really, really passionate about beer in general. Um, so I, I just, I didn't think that was going to be a good fit for me. Um, and the Crowleys, uh, who at the time were, had just sold the cello distributing, which is an Anheuser-Busch distributor, were uh, just starting plans on uh, Stony Creek Brewery. 
So they, down they called in me. Down in Brantford, Connecticut. Down in Brantford, Connecticut, yep. Um, giant waterfront brewery. And, and they were they called me before the brewery was built uh, and asked me to come on board as, as the director of sales, but also to help them um, design and, and build the brand from the ground up. It, it, they, had, they had a brand previous to that called called uh, Stony Creek Brewery and it was it was contract brewed and uh, there was a, just a couple of recipes that were being contract brewed at a 203 and 860 lager. Um, nothing really special or exciting. Um, so one of my first objectives when I came on board, I, I asked them that the, me and our brewmaster Andy Schwartz, who came on board at the same time, he was the lead innovations brewer up at Red Hook. Right. And uh, the two of us kind of they, get, they handed us to each other essentially, and we teamed up and, and, and tackled uh, designing that brand and, and launching the brewery from the ground up. So we designed all the beers, the the story, uh, the, the 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 packaging, and uh, and went to market. And uh, that was a good experience. I learned a lot. Got to got to build something from the ground up in my home market, and um, and that was fun. And then fast forward five and a half years later, um, I was let go. Me along with Andy and our key accounts manager. Um, as a as a financial move, and that opened up the door for some other opportunities. And I'm um, super blessed. And now I got picked up. Uh, came on board at New England Brewing as a director of sales. So, what does a director of sales do? <laughs> I guess it kind of depends on which brewery you're director of sales for. <laughs> I see. I had a, I had a much larger uh, role. So, essentially, managing all things sales outside of outside of the building, right? Everything that we sell to the market, uh, managing the sales team at Stony Creek, I, I hired and, and built our sales team, launched all of our markets. We, had, we ended up being in all New England states. I ended up launching all those states, interviewing the wholesalers um, for commitments and building our marketing strategies, our go-to-market strategy specifically, um, and all of our, our quarterly and yearly game plans for sales um, I developed. And then, you know, coming to Nebco, it's a much different thing because, you know, this is a brand that uh, sells itself in a lot of ways, you know, it has a really big following. The quality of liquid is just, is just uh, amazing and, and people love the beer. So it's just got this awesome fan base. So it's exciting now that I'm, I'm the director of sales, but I'm, I'm getting to touch pretty much every department in the brewery and, and be a part of it um, on a director level, which is, which is really exciting. Um, and it's cool to have input and, and see, you know, bringing some other things to the table that they hadn't had before. Uh, Marty, who's our director of business, is been. You, I'm sure you know Marty Giuliano. Absolutely, been, been in the business a long time. Great guy. Um, so it's great to be on the same team as him. You know, we've we've been friends in the industry a long time, and and he was, uh, he was the one that you know suggested to Rob and uh, and Rob is uh, the owner, Rob Leonard, of course, and then John Deals, who's the uh, who's our director of operations. Um, I had met John Pryor, great guy, uh, happy to be working with him now, happy to be on the team with Rob. They've, they've treated me incredibly well there. The staff, you know, welcomed me with open arms and it's been a, it's been a really cool experience so far. The next chapter of my career has so far been, been really, really rewarding. And, uh, and, and to go through a situation like COVID, you know, and as a team kind of getting through it and, and still being able to, to sell a lot of beer and still having a fan base that wants our beer, it's, it's been it's been a good time to be a part of a, of a brand like that, um, despite all the, the uncertainty in the world. Absolutely. I mean, you've got to have people skills. You've got to be able to work spreadsheets. You've got to be able to really understand the business uh, as it is and also be able to read uh, the minds uh, of, of your customers somehow because, you know, it certainly is a lot of competition in Connecticut. There are a lot of choices that customers have, and you need sure. to kind of meet them where they are and get them what they're what they're looking for. Now, New England uh, Brewing has been around since in its current form since 2002, and we talked a little bit before uh, uh, recording about some of the ways that Nebco is looking to give back to the community in new ways, and kind of from what I understand. Uh, take the take the industry you know farther being continue to be a leader in that in that uh, space can you tell me a little bit about your plans and and what nebco might be able to accomplish yeah we um you know community has always been a big thing for nebco when i when i came on board and, and sat down with rob and i you know asked a lot about you know what are the things you want from this brand and, and where do you see this brand going and, and what are the you know, the, the important things to you and to this brand to be a part of. And, and community was one of those things that kept coming up. 
you know, we do a lot for uh, the Closer to Free uh, Smilo Cancer Center. Um, Marty's spearheads uh, that part of it from our side, but we, we, we help raise a lot of money for that situation. Um, we also are a big part of the uh, toys, uh, Toys for Tots situation. It's not a Toys for Tots. We actually team up with a bunch of other breweries and do these uh, toy drive parties at different bars sure. and and uh, all the breweries get together and it's it's a really cool thing we you know it's like between we usually do between like eight or ten events a year and uh, a bunch of breweries get together we all hang out everybody brings toys we encourage customers to bring toys and then we end up with like a u-haul truck <laughs> full of toys at the end of these uh it's this series of events to bring to the yale hospital um which is which is very cool um so those are just a couple of the things that we do and and now you know with all the things going on in the world you know as far as racial injustice and and what's happening with you know black people dying via the hands of police brutality and 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 so forth you know it's one of those weathered souls out in in texas has launched an initiative called black is beautiful and it's a collaboration beer that they're encouraging you know all breweries to be a part of where the proceeds of that go to organizations that help with racial justice and they so put the recipe right out there and you can sign up and then make the beer yeah absolutely any brewery can sign up um, the recipes there or they they also encourage you if you want to, to kind of make your own recipe but the idea is that you know the proceeds from that are going to the right thing and then you're bringing awareness to the situation in general um, so it was something that i was passionate about and and from the jump you know being black in america is, is just it's something I've, I've, I've dealt with my entire life. Um, and I, and I understand that a lot of people that are friends with me, especially friends that are, that are white may not necessarily understand that I've, I've always been, for the most part, I've been treated with respect. I've had my run-ins with racism and I've had to deal with those issues, of course, but, um, the people that I call friends and the people that I've worked for have, have really treated me with respect. I've worked hard in my career and, and that's been recognized. Um, but it's also a thing that, you know, maybe some people don't necessarily realize is still such a big issue for a lot of other people. For me, it's never lost that a lot of people, a lot of black people had to die for me to have the opportunities that I have now and, and, and to have been treated with the respect that I have now. You know, so it wasn't that long ago where, you know, none of the jobs or the, the situations I've been in would have been really possible. So, um, and, it was, and it was, you talk about the idea of just kind of cutting yourself off from that reality. And that, unfortunately, could be the world of of beer. I mean, it's we're not uh, we're we're not innocent in that. You know, it, it seems like a fairly closed society, or it could be if you wanted it to be. And you know, all your whole life could be built around that. Saying, I'm just going to talk about beer. I don't want to talk about politics. I don't want to talk about race. Let's just talk about beer. And you're saying, no, you, you we can do both. Yeah, I think we, we can do both. We, you know, as a, as a brand, as a brewery, and, and not just us specifically, but the industry in general, you know, community is a big, is a big part of the industry. It's a big part of why breweries are, are successful because their communities support them, especially when you talk about local and, and, and micro local, you know, sure. hyper local. Um, so for us, you know, our community also includes black people. So, you know, we're not only doing the collaboration beer, but we're also I'm going to make our own beer and where the proceeds from that will go to aside from the weathered soul situation where the proceeds from that, that's going to be a new thing. The, the weathered souls beer, we're going to, we're not going to do till the fall because it's a, it's a big stout and uh, we want to, we want to barrel age it and we want to do something really cool with it. Nice. So we're going to do that. We're going to do that in the fall. We're going to release it in the fall. It's going to get brewed in the near future and then put in barrels. But in the meantime, we're going to release an IPA now um, where the proceeds and that are going to go to the same causes. And then, um, and then we're also we started an, an internal committee of uh, of staff volunteer uh, staff that are volunteered to be a part of it, um, small committee that's going to specifically focus on fundraising and and doing things as a company and spearheading as a company how we can get involved in things that benefit racial injustice, uh, bringing awareness to racial injustice, and then also you know focusing on how we can affect the youth, young black youth in our community. Um, that's opportunities, experiences, and education that'll that'll affect young black youth. So for us, it's going to be a thing that's going to be long term. It's going to be a part of what we do in terms of giving back to the community, just like the other things that we do to give back to the community. And uh, it was important to me that we be a part of it. But it's also important to our staff and to our our the ownership. Rob, you know, it's, he's something that you know he's about. So for us, you know, we can we tend to stay non-political as a brand, you know, but at the same time. 
we we always give back to community and for and for us this isn't necessarily political it's it's about community and it's about you know being able to do that as well so we can we can do that sim- simply enough I, I i i think anyone who who has to argue that a human right um like being treated decently is a political statement uh is going to tie themselves up in knots because the idea is that you know everybody should be taking this side um yeah it's true and you know craft beer is it's one of those things one of the things that i fell in love with about it is is the community of craft beer it's 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 from my experience very welcoming you know you got these people i've seen people and hung out with people met a lot of people from different walks of life all talking about beer the only reason that they've been able to come together or see each other or meet each other is because they like the same kind of ipa or or they waited in line for the same beer something like that so it's it's a very it's a kind of community that kind of inherently fosters people coming together and talking about things so it it isn't it isn't far-fetched for a a community to also for that same community to then you know want to impact it and reach it's also been like inherently a very white community right it's 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 just kind of you know by by a product of of the kind of normal nature not that black people don't drink beer but when you talk about beer fests and stuff like that it's generally kind of a culture where there's it's bearded white guys so not that black people are like no i don't want to be there but it doesn't seem like something necessarily that was like you know about or for black people so maybe they stayed away from it now you're seeing black people really getting into craft beer and uh and for the most part i I think being welcomed into the scene and and so now when you when you talk about craft beer and you talk about community and talk about the people that drink your beer it isn't it isn't just white people it's it's black people it's it's latinos it's it's people of color it's it's people of all of all races really and uh, and it's and it should be it should be inclusive because we're we're talking about beer here, you know. Exactly, it is one of those middle grounds where you know, it's kind of like music, where it, there there's something cultural, there's something um, that takes you out of yourself, and that you can enjoy it. Why wouldn't you want to enjoy it uh, with other people with, from any kind of background, men, uh, women? Um, and so, yeah, I'm 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 really happy to see it. I you know here I am been writing about beer for 15 years. I have not done a piece. You know, in all that time, I never sought out and said, "Why is beer so white?" You know, and mm. I'm. Uh, so I'm part of the problem, or I'm, or at least I'd certainly say uh, not someone who spoke up, and um, you know, so so this is a refreshing time, and and I hope that it's not certainly it's not going to be controversial, because why you know why should it be? Um, the videos that you've created, um, I recommend that anybody listen to this, listen to those, and. Um, I'll make I'll put links uh, to to them in the in the show notes and I'll play some clips. Uh, these are seemingly very uh, uh, informal, laid back uh, videos that you made in your greenhouse. Just you talking to the camera. Uh, you cover some important topics. Your your own personal history, the history of Black injustice in America, learned racism, among other topics. Here's a clip. <clears throat> and I remember one game, it was a home game, Legion Field, and score was tied and, and we were we were playing this team in, it was and it was back and forth. I was playing midfield and there was this one kid on the other team who played defense. And it was late in the game. And, you know, tensions were high and we were all, you know, playing hard, but it was, it was friendly rivalry, just being frustrated, you know, games were getting a little physical, ref was letting things go. And this kid that was defending me, you know, when when you're playing soccer and kids are defending you close, you know, you pull on your shirt. At one point, this kid started saying some some racist things like doesn't matter how good you are you're, you know you're always going to be a nigger you know right keep trying nigger you know and it fucking got to me like it was one of those one of the early times where you know dealing with racism from peers now you think you know something I had not really dealt with a whole lot from my friends from the kids around me and now this is a kid from another town 
same age, three years prior where kids got to be taught. But now this is sixth, seventh grade. So what, 12, 13 years old, a few short years to, <clears throat> to be able to attack someone like that. And I flipped. Can you tell me what inspired you to make these? These were just two, as far as I saw, uh, done this month. Yeah. Um, you know, watching watching the video of George Floyd being murdered and, you know, prior to that, seeing Ahmaud Aubrey being, you know, chased down in a truck and, and killed. It's one of those it's one of those things like we, you've always seen, we've been, you know, Rodney King was 40 years ago. It wasn't, you know, it's 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 something that's always been happening. We've been seeing, you know, all these we've been seeing black people being murdered for being black mostly, you know, especially when it's, if they're, whether they're a criminal or if it's, if it's, if they're not a criminal, the, the, the common denominator always seems to be because they're black. And, and if you are black in America, you understand that systemic racism is a, is a very real thing. But, you know, I think for some white people, it doesn't seem like it's that real because it's so far from their normal experience. Sure. Um, and I, and I felt so, there was just so much, especially when the protests started, they're just, I had so much on my heart. We, we've been, we've been split into two teams as a company for the last three months. So um, where, the, where each team is working opposite weeks. So I've had one week on, one week from home, one week at the brewery type of thing. And, and a lot of time, you know, especially my weeks at home, it's just, it's hard to not think. And after you, you, you sit and watch those videos, it was like, I mean, sitting watching the videos of, of uh, the Floyd murder, it was just, it was tough to watch and it, it was and it was and i found myself really just it's i've been able to kind of shut out a lot of things or focus on different things throughout my life but for some whatever reason this really felt like unignorable and, and un i couldn't not think about it and i my thoughts kept racing and racing and we had talked about some things at the brewery that you know we should do or shouldn't do and, and it and i think it came from just a a bit of frustration from me in, in terms of I'm seeing a lot of things on Facebook, seeing a lot of people I know posting things that that were upsetting me and, and worrying me from a lack of, you know, a lack of a lack of in, a lack of knowledge, I think, mostly. I think it's once you kind of know certain things, it's it's easier to understand. So and I and my approach with racism has always been to try and educate. I, I got to the point in my life where I could I could channel it to a place to try and educate or, or have a conversation or or be direct as opposed to you know, being mad and flipping out and being angry. I feel like in, in my case, when I'm talking to people, it, it tends to be I, I can level with someone and, and have a conversation and maybe they can change their behavior or their mindset from there as opposed to just being mad. And then they don't really understand what you're mad about besides it being a, a, a black and white thing. And that can, sometimes that's too easy just to say, oh, it's it's just a black and white thing. And it, and it, and it is that, but there's there's so much more that goes with it. There's so much pain and so much more hurt behind the entire life of, of black people in America, the entire history here from, from the, from the moment we were brought here to now. And, and I think for a lot of people, it's a lot of the things I talked about in my video aren't generally taught in schools or in, are in common education. It's, it's something you kind of have to seek out to find a little bit. And now I think the information is becoming more readily available. So for me, it was like, you know, I think a, a lot of the friends that I know, a lot of people that I know, I'm one of the few black people they actually know and, and hang out with. And when they hang out with me, we're not talking about race, you know, we're drinking beers and we're, we're having a good time. So it's, it's not a conversation I've had with most of my white friends. So I felt like it was important for the people that know me to hear, hear from me on that regard. And, you know, you can call everybody individually, but that becomes weird. For me, it was like, it was a little bit of that, but then it was also about, you know, a little therapeutic, you know, it was, it was, it was very different to like, you know, I, I just put the camera on and just started talking, just started letting my feelings roll out, let my thoughts roll out. And then it was watching the video back that, you know, really affected me um, because now I had a chance to process what I was saying and, and feeling these emotions that I had felt and or hadn't thought about for years or hadn't let myself really fully feel in a long time because I, you know, there's a quote that says, you know, to be black in America is to be in rage all the time. And and there's some truth to that. If you're always, always thinking about this stuff, if I'm always thinking about this, the situation of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery, it's, it's, it's hard to not be angry all the time. And, and I've always taken more value in my life of being more than that, you know, and, and craft beer has been a huge part of the happiness in my life. So it was like, 
I wanted to get my thoughts out. I felt like for my own mental health, it was important to get my thoughts out and at least put them somewhere. I've never been the kind of person to write. I'm not a great speller. <laughs> so I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't write a whole lot, but the video and just talking felt like something that felt natural that I could just run with and go. So I really just put the camera on and, and, and just started talking. Um, One of the things I found effective was that you quite seamlessly uh, blended your personal history uh, in along with American history. And without seeming like a lecturer, it was just about saying you, and, and I mean, maybe it's more effective because I've met you, and but it would, to me, it would, it would, it would have a similar effect to someone who's seeing you for the first time in the video, which is to say that the person you're looking at now is not just the product of my time here on earth, but I am part of the legacy that has come before me, and I'm incredibly aware of it. Uh, and, you know, coming from my perspective, when, you know, growing up white and looking at, I remember one of the first pieces of racial violence uh, that I remember reading about was Amadou Diallo, which, uh, you know, mm -hmm. he, he was shot uh, in, I think it was 99. Uh, prior to that, I was in college with uh, Rodney King, but it was all about the, the aftermath. And it was about the, you know, uh, the, the videos of rioting that my eyes, you know, couldn't stop looking at. And I just, from my perspective, it was something that happened on the news. It might as well have happened in South Africa, or it could have happened in uh, another part of the country, but it, it certainly wasn't part of my world. Mm. And there's something different about about this one. It's still, you know, I, I'm starting to see, or, you know, as I've grown up, I hope, I'm seeing where what role I do play, and and that that if I don't say something or I don't try to uh, encourage others to speak, then I'm I'm part of the problem. Uh, I'm wondering when you, uh, you one of the things you talk about in in both videos is uh, racism in, that you've experienced. Uh, you have a story about um, a, a trip uh, with. Um, uh, with, with one of the breweries that you worked for uh, and your roommate who gets wasted. And then another one was about you on the soccer field. Um, what has that been like to revisit those moments in your life? Oh, man, it was, um, you know, specifically, so when I was at Blue Point, that, that story, um, my roommate for that trip, we were we had just gotten bought by Anheuser-Busch and, and we were all out there figuring out and they were showing us we we're out in Chicago and they were showing us, you know, they had bought they had bought uh, Goose Island Brewery a couple of years prior. And, you know, they were showing us, you know, things were going to be OK type of thing. But we were all still on, on edge and it was a stressful trip. And I had gotten to the point in my life there where I, I had a specific way of handling racism and where it was like it, it had there was a priority check always. It was like, all right, is this important to deal with right now or not? Because you you go through it and you deal with things so much. It's it's kind of like I felt like I, pick, I had to pick and choose my battles, whether or not this is going to be worth this fight right now, or I'm just going to, this person, I'm going to get mad about this, and this person's going to get mad, and then I'm not going to get anything out of it besides just being the angry black guy. Or, and that, but that, or, was, that was based on prior experience, or was that something that you imagined would happen? No, that was based on prior experience. It's, yeah. it's just, it's, a, it's the reality of, of the situation. It, you know, there's a lot of racism that happens, and sometimes it happens in a way that, you know, people don't really realize what they're what they're doing. And and um, and that's where the education comes in or a conversation can come in. But sometimes it isn't always in that setting when it's when it's someone who's, you know, at a different company than you, but higher up or a colleague in the industry or sure. or, you know, someone else where it doesn't feel like. I, I just feel like if I got angry every single time, I wouldn't be able to accomplish the things I've accomplished. So I, I it was a it was just it, it was a learned kind of check and balance or priority balance for me so that situation that happened in chicago where i talked about you know my roommate saying a bunch of racist things after he gotten drunk and then my a friend of mine or a colleague of mine that was sitting next to me where i didn't take a priority to it because i'm like I, you know i gotta worry about what we got to do in the morning and i just pretty much told the guy to get out of my face and and he went away and it was whatever and, and my my colleague was like yo 
this is not okay. And without telling me or saying anything to me, he called the, the owner of the brewery, you know, and, and, and spoke up. And that was a, a pretty profound moment for me because it, it was one of the, it was probably the only time in my life up until that point that I had that someone else who was white that witnessed something that was like, no, I also need to go. I need to deal with this. If you're not going to deal with it, you know what I mean? And, and that was, that was really kind of the first time that it ever happened in real. I, you know, you're, you're with someone and people are like, ah, oh, yeah, that's not cool. Like after the fact, but it's usually me. It's usually I have to be the one that say something or, or, or it doesn't get said, you know, people kind of put their heads away or the, or the room gets silent or the crowd gets silent or the group gets silent. And they're kind of like, oh yeah, it's easy to acknowledge. Like that wasn't cool to say, man, but nobody really comes out and is like, Hey dude, you can't say shit like that. And you know, this was the first time where someone was like, nah, man, this is someone else, someone else besides me, uh, you know, took it to someone higher up and, 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 and felt it was important enough to deal with the experience when I was a kid, it was, you know, I got to thinking about when, when friends of mine showed me, told me and reached out that they were like, man, I'm going to show that video to my kids. Or I did show that video to my kids, or I'm going to have this conversation with my kids. It got me thinking about it. it was just something I didn't expect from that video. I just, I was thinking about it from an adult perspective. I was thinking about it, just getting some thoughts out and, and I really sat on the video for a few days before I even posted it because I'm like, is this something that I that I do want to share? And then I was like, no, I think this could be an important thing for at least the people that know me, not trying to go viral per se, but just for the people that know me. Sure. And um, and then when I when I was getting that kind of a response, it, it got me thinking again, you know, and it got me thinking like, man, showing your kids. And then they got me thinking like, what is that age that kids become racist? And it got me thinking about that, that the earliest moments in my life that I really was started dealing with it. So that time at, at soccer you know, it was, well, it was one, pretty profound. One thing that, for those who haven't uh, seen the videos yet, you talk about growing up in Vernon, Connecticut, which, mm -hmm. uh, at least when you were growing up, a primarily white community. Yep. And um, you played soccer. And th so the, the idea is that you've negotiated this, uh, wor the, the worlds of white and black America seamlessly through your whole life. Uh, but it's always, and, and so now, yeah, and now talk about, and then you were playing soccer, and t t tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was um, probably sixth grade playing soccer, and it was it was interesting because, you know, just a couple of years prior to that, I, I had not dealt with it. It was kids in school. I was the only black kid in school, but kids were nice, and they wanted to talk to me, and and parents were, were were cool for the most part too. It was a it was it was fine. And then you get there and we're playing the soccer team. It was travel soccer. We're playing this team from another town, and and this kid on the other team starts. You know, I was I was playing forward and he was a defender. And he starts. You know, we're always you know when you're playing, people are grabbing your shirts and you're playing close. You know, defending and, you're, and it was a tough game. It was a team that we had kind of developed this rivalry with. And uh, and and towards the end of the game, he starts saying these racist things like you know you. It doesn't matter how good you're all, you're always going to be a nigger. And, and, uh, and it was like, at first it was just this, like, what, you know, it was like this thing. And then it got, it got me so mad so quick. Um, you know, that I ended up attacking this kid. And from the, the perspective of everyone watching, I, they just saw me kind of attacking this kid. A sure. couple of the kids on the team had overheard, you know, and, and saw what it was, but for the most part, it was, it was just like, it was just that it was it was just like I just attacked this kid and they kind of chalked it up to the the heat of the game and, and stuff like that. And then um, after the fact, it, it made me realize it happened again in the line. It, they ended up calling the game early because it ended up turning into a, a brawl between our two teams, essentially. And and they called the game early. And as we're in line, you know, shaking hands, the kid smiles at me, sneers at me, actually, and, and says it again. And it was. And I and it made me. This was the first time that I'd really thought about that moment so detailed, in so much detail, and, and looking back at it and remembering how I felt then, and remembering, you know, my coach when he finally realized, you know, one of the, the kids say, telling him like, "Dad, you know that the kid called him a nigger," you know, and, and and saying that stuff. It was like seeing his face transition from "Holy shit!" Like I didn't realize that was happening, and then also kind of being like. You know, that's something that he never expected to have to deal with. So it got me thinking about, you know, parents not being naive enough to think that this isn't something you're going to have to deal with because there's always going to be kids like that, you know? And it's like, how are how are the kids going to handle when they run into those kind of kids? Um, and then it was like, where did this kid learn that stuff? Where, because it wasn't just about this kid saying stuff. We're talking about sixth grade here, sixth, seventh grade. Sure. And this kid was able to understand what he was doing in terms of what the what his what his comments were going to do to me, how mad they were going to make me, 
smiling about it, being satisfied that it made me mad. And then knowing that he wasn't really going to get in trouble. Like he didn't really get in trouble. Nobody like grabbed this kid and kicked him out of the game or, you know, he didn't get hauled off at the end of the game or anything like that. It was kind of like he knew the perception of, of how it was going to do. It was like this kid kind of weaponized his racism at, at, at sixth grade, you know, and it, was, and it got me thinking about, man, like it doesn't take that long to understand and execute, you know, as, as human beings, as people. And that was a kind of a profound moment for me to reflect on because that was what it, it took a long time for me to be able to, when those comments started coming, that was something that happened more often than you would think on the soccer field. Cause I, I pretty much grown up in white neighborhoods. We played other white schools and I was always, I was always in that situation where I was usually the only or one of few black kids. So it wasn't the only time something like that happened, but it took a long time for me to be able to, to channel that energy into that anger into you know, energy on the field and to do something with it and, and, and realizing, you know, that night after that brawl was when my mom sat me down. She always had that mentality of like, if somebody hits you, you hit them back, you know, sure. like you don't get bullied. Um, but that was the first time we had to talk about, you know, you're not going to be able to, to fight. You're not going to be able to use your fists in these situations. You have to find other ways. You got to talk, you got to talk shit back. You got to, you got to learn to, to, to do other things and, and, and be effective in other ways, because if you fight, you're always going to get in trouble regardless of who started it. And it, and it was one of those times where I really realized that I was playing by different rules in this kind of game of life. And, and that, um, and that I really kind of realized how unfair it was in that sense, because it was unfair, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, um, you know, some of the things that my mom had been teaching me, I'd kind of just been learning and been like, okay, okay, mom, you know, cool. And I hadn't dealt with it a whole lot. And then now having being taught and being, and being, and knowing what to expect and then actually having it happen was, was two very different things, you know, and especially I'm, you're, I'm a kid. So it wasn't like I had a great understanding of, of my emotions or my feelings or expressions or, or how to, or wasn't smart enough or, or cultured and, or, had lived long enough to really be mature enough to handle things in a different way. And, and it took a long time to really, to, to make that effective in a way that I didn't care what people said about me in that way. Right. It sounds like you made this kind of giant leap in your development during that game. It, it was the, the straw that broke the camel's back, but it was also an opportunity to, to, to grow up. Whereas other kids on that field, who knows if they, if that experience, witnessing that experience, that might have helped them grow too. But one of the things that hit me hard is when I heard you talk about, you said, I wonder what that kid is up to today. And yeah. that takes a lot of maturity. I mean, that you know, from, from your perspective, it takes an open mind because, I mean, you know, you're, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think you're, you're hoping ill will for him. Um, you hope he grew. Um, but it, it's, it, it, it makes me think that there is hope that when you do something that stupid in sixth grade, whether it was taught to them or whether he just observed it and he was trying out, let's see how you know bad I can be. You know, I really, I really hope you know he, he learned from it. But but because I, I know you did. Yeah, you know, and it's it got me thinking about that specifically. Like, what's that kid doing now? Because when you think about adults that are racist now that grew up in my generation you, you know some people would be like how could you be racist growing up in this generation like we've had all this time to be like we know people should be treated equal and yada yada you know and a lot of things i saw in a lot of comments where people are like well i didn't own a slave like i'm not responsible for you know i'm not responsible for black people being slaves and there's this mentality so i'm like this kid back then you know if he hasn't evolved if he hasn't gotten a chance to evolve or learn to evolve or or whatever and he's still that that kind of a person, then that's the kind of person that's still making issues now. You know what I mean? And so it's like, it isn't, it, it got me thinking like, man, I, I value so much that my friends were like, I got to show my kids this video. I got to have these conversations with my kids because, because kids grow up to be adults <laughs> and, yeah. and, and behavior only changes as much as a kid can, as a person evolves throughout those years. But you know, what effect they, you know, that I'm sure that kid went to, it was an all white neighborhood that, you know, he was playing in too. So it's, I don't think he got thrown into a situation where he all of a sudden had all these black people to learn from. Maybe he did, you know, but, but if he didn't, was there anyone there to help course correct him throughout his life where he, did he grow up thinking this is an okay thing to do and this is how I can get what I want or this is how I can get a rise out of people. And, and some people are just assholes, you know, from, True. from the jump. But, um, but it got me thinking like, man, you know, it, it starts somewhere. 
and and it can start that early, you know. Right. And now you've you've decided that you know you 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 love the beer culture, you love um, the, the elements of of craft beer that are that are good, and you know that there are elements of it that might be closed-minded. What do you see in your future in terms of um, balancing this need to enjoy uh, beer and also be the best uh, you know, director of sales that you can be, you know, really use your mind, but where is there also that element of uh, you know, striving for a little bit more racial justice? I think it's a, it's a necessary call to action for me um, because I, I'm, I'm well aware of being able to have what I have is because other people fought for it, you know, and, and, and just the simple experience, I'm not talking about the house I live in or, or the job I have, but more so even just being treated with respect by the white people around me. That is, that is something that other people, other black people had to die for. So I, I feel like, you know, my, my part of enjoying this experience and understanding my blessings needs to be paid forward a little bit. If in nothing else, you know, educating the white people that I know to, to, to be better or, or to, or to be a little bit more vocal, or at least to, to, to know when to, to know that they got to say something. I think there's this mentality of, of silence is, I'm not a part of it, but silence is, 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 is also a part of the problem in a lot of ways, because, you know, if, if everyone wasn't silent for the last 30 years and the people that, that thought, racism is wrong stood up and helped racism not be a thing then we might not have as much racism as we have now but just pretending like it's not there doesn't make it go away you know what i mean and and especially when you talk about the systems in place that that still kind of inhibit it and and allow it to happen in certain in certain areas of of government and and policy in general then then it doesn't change so i think for me if, if if there's nothing else, there was there was certainly this feeling. I think a part of me making those videos was a was a call to action, and and a part of me feeling now and you know and and wanting to start this committee at Nebco has just been, it's a part of like I I have a responsibility also just being a successful black man in America to help those around me and, and those who who don't have the opportunities that I have to at least see that someone who looks like them, you know that's why the youth is I think important to me when I, when I talk about affecting black youth in, in the area is I want black kids to see that me and I don't live a lavish lifestyle. I don't do anything crazy, but you know, I have things that they can have too. And, and that it's, and that it's possible and that experiences are possible and that the whole, that you can, you can be more than what you feel like you can be based on the rules that you have to play by a little bit being black. And, and I know we have progression and we now more than ever with the internet and with social media, there's more people speaking up than there ever has been. And that's, and that's awesome. Um, and I, and I just, I, I just felt like I couldn't, I can't sit here and just enjoy my life without, without helping other people, other black people specifically understand that they can have more and that they can be more. Um, and then helping the white people around me understand that, they can do more too. And it doesn't, they don't necessarily have to have to go, you know, yelling at every single person they see and, and, and everything, but there's, there's a, there's a reality to, to, to speaking up at least because people, there's a way to talk to people that they respect what you say and, and understand what you say. And, and, but if nobody says anything then nothing changes. So if, if nothing else, if I can, if I can help play my little part, my little role in, and the future of those that come after me because of the huge part that people played before me, it just feels like necessary. It feels like the right thing to do. It feels, it feels like the right thing to do. Have you guys decided on which organizations you want to support or is that still um, in discussion? It is. Um, so what I've done is I created a pretty extensive outline of, of what we want to accomplish and, and the three accomplish, accomplishments being awareness, um, uh, national, um, uh, national awareness and, and being able to affect change nationally and donations nationally to national organizations that fight for racial injustice, but then also affecting it on a local level as well. So those kind of three things being important. And then I put down a, a bunch of different organizations that we can donate to and, and organizations that, that, that focus on these things specifically. And then I put down a bunch of fundraising ideas that we, things that we can do as a company 
as a as a craft community as individual people that can that can help that change so now we've got that outline uh, and we've created a committee now it's we start meeting as a committee to to streamline that outline and, and start focus on focusing on things specifically and, and building things specifically to affect the change in those in those areas um, so there's a lot of ideas on the table and a lot of things but it needs to be it needs to be a little bit more organized and, and I wanted that to happen not from me but but from our company from the other employees because we have other employees that were also very very passionate about this and that it shouldn't be you know an objective that's just led by the, the one black employee at Nebco and not this I don't want one black employee to sound like Nebco doesn't hire black people it's more just about it, it isn't just my charge it's the charge of people in general this is a, a human charge and and uh and other people in our company have stepped up to to want to be a part of that and and it's the it's the general feeling from from ownership all the way down like that 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 we can we can do more and and that specifically when we talk about community if we want to be a company that that stays pretty political free when it comes to black people are a part of our community and and that isn't political you know that's a part of what we do also and uh and i'm excited and i feel proud to be a part of a company that's willing to do that and and uh i feel proud of the people that work with me and uh, i'm excited that that we're going to be doing this and that this is something that we're going to be doing and not just a one-time thing because that was another thing that was pretty passionate for me is i didn't i didn't want this to just be a donation or for us to just cut a check, you know, for a couple hundred bucks to a, to a to a charity. I wanted this to be a part of our culture, a part of the things that we do at Nepco, and 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 everyone's on board with that. So it's pretty exciting for me um, that this is going to be a, a a long-term move in our in our culture, not just a not just a situational move. Well, it sounds like one of the intangible effects of this down the line might be seeing more people of color working in beer in connecticut even i mean we see it uh you know you see the when i when i when i looked up uh fresh fest and i saw how many uh black owned breweries there were and how many black employees of breweries there were across the country i you know just thought wow we really are behind the times here in connecticut but it i think what what i'm getting from you is it's not a matter of saying a one time okay we're gonna hire a you know, a black assistant brewer, and then, you know, check that box. It's, it's kind of just got to be organic and kind of grow from an open mind and, you know, the, the message. Yeah. And then I think also, also being a place that black people know, a, black, a place that black people want to work, a culture that black people want to be a part of it and, and know that it's welcoming and know that they can come in and, and learn and, and be a part of it, uh, I think is important because I think, you know, Black people getting into craft beer is relatively new as far as craft beer goes, and and now that they are into it in a pretty a pretty substantial way, um, you know I would want the community to to know that the black community to know that craft beer is a is a place that that is welcoming to them, and 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 that our hiring goes that we will we would hire a black person especially if they're qualified, and and that it's and it's not a matter of race. We try and it's one of the things that I do like at Nepco. I've seen it with one of our reps. We hired a rep before I came on board. Who isn't qualified? Who isn't doesn't have a lot of experience in, in beer? Like he loves beer, loves our brand, um, but we hired him because he's a great person and he's the right person that we want to develop to learn about how to be a good sales rep. And so hiring good people is a is a is always been a priority of Nebco prior to me coming on board, and 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 that would translate for black or white or Asian or any color in general. So I think having the understanding and the awareness that craft beer is is welcoming and then and then actively welcoming people of color into the into the industry and into the business is the first place to start there's a group of uh, guys that I, i'm a big fan of um called the craft crew mm-hmm. um they're out of the hartford area and their whole focus is is widening the demographic of, of craft beer so you know i think it's one thing if you know you've got bearded white guys that are like drink craft beer you know, to black guys, it's, it, it is different when you have black guys being like, yo, drink craft beer, this shit's good. And then, you know, it's, it's a little more understanding and welcoming when you see your own people, you know, also embracing it and being a part of it. And it makes it feel like it's not so, uh, not so foreign. It's not so un, unreachable. So I'm a huge fan of those guys and, and what they're doing. And, and uh, they've told me specifically how welcoming the craft beer community has been to them. And that's exciting to hear. So I, I feel like, you know, awareness and 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 doing the right thing in the industry is 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 the way to go but then i think we can do more in terms of affecting our community and then 
and then doing the right thing to bring people into black people into craft beer and making sure that they feel welcome. And our tap room, I know our tap room staff, regardless of black, white, we're in, we're in Woodbridge, but we're right on the new Haven line. We're on, we're on Amity road. So, I mean, we're, we're probably, you know, closer to new Haven than we are to the center of Woodbridge. Um, So we have black people and people of color that come in that tap room. And I know that our staff is, is like treats everybody with the same respect and the same vibe. And and I, and I love that. Um, So I think that's one place to start things that we do already as a company are, is a place to start just being welcoming. And I think a lot of, I think I want to believe a lot of tap rooms, most tap rooms have that same experience where regardless of who you are, if you're coming in there to drink beer and you want to vibe about beer, that they are more than willing and welcome to do that. Well, I think you're uh, a a big, um, uh, important addition to, to Nebco and to the craft beer in general. And I really appreciate watching your videos uh, I'm rooting for you and your career, and I just really appreciate you, you know, giving of yourself and giving of your time. Well, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate you watching the videos as well. I know they were they were a little lengthy, um, and that might be hard for people to sit down and, and, and watch the whole way through. But um, I, I appreciate, you know, anyone who's taken the time to watch that because it, it really was – it wasn't easy for me to do. That's not normally that's – not, that's something I've never done um, and it's not something I would normally do. And, I, and it wasn't something that I did, you know, thinking it would be something that I keep doing. Um, it just feels like it was very therapeutic and I, and I got a lot out of it. And I hope that the people that watched it got a lot out of it and, and maybe something I do more, you know, as I feel kind of inspired to do so. But um, more importantly, you know, being a part of a, I think I'm a part of a great industry. I'm a part of a great company and I, and I feel really blessed to have all that. And, and, uh, and for the platforms like you to, I appreciate you wanting to, have this uh, have this podcast and, and, and talk and, and hear me out. All right. Well, thank you very much. My thanks to Jamal Robinson. You can follow him on Instagram at Nebco Jammy. He's got a YouTube channel and I'll have links to his videos in the show notes. You can reach me at beer.snob at yahoo.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at beersnobwrites. Feel free to leave a Venmo tip. I'm William-Sis. Love if you would read my stuff in the Republican American newspaper. That's rep-am.com. Until next time, sip well. Thank you.